listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth, and we are here at the City Winery recording our intro outro right before we do our WTNS Live. How you doing, Rob? Excited for tonight. Excited to have Anders here and, and Benny Burrow, the backstage. They're still working away on songs they're going to do. Donna, yeah. Donna Hopkins is in the house, and her Which bass is, is Travis. Which is interesting. Donna Hopkins doing our, out of the three, she's done two WTNS Lives. Yes, it's a good regular to have if you're going to have a regular. I agree, and I'm very happy to have her here. Um, but, Rob, uh, here we are on the cusp of releasing our... Hey, thank you. Sweetwater Ooh. just dropped off to us here. Dank Tank. Ground Score. Ground Score. Uh, first time I've seen this. The and Relics Kyle Hollingsworth Collaborative Beer. And Relics being a partner of the Osiris Network. We're about to drink to you and drink your beer at the same time. How about that, Rob? That's excellent. Hope Sweet so get water. To thank t- you, guys. Hope to take some of this home with me. Um, so some thank yous, of course. Harris Sullivan, our main man, working the social media for us, doing all kinds of other things. And today, our shows. picking up the Bojanic Indian food that was kindly donated by our sponsor, Bojanic. Which means his car will smell delicious for weeks. Delicious. Oh, my God. That food is so good. Josh Thane, joshthaneproductions.com. Thank you. Robert Kwan. Thank you for your help on the last episode. Ira Gross, who's coming down here, despite the fact that his his wife just found out that her stepmother passed away. Awful, awful news. Ira is still Ira. still honoring his commitment to us and recording tonight. What a great soul. That says a lot about Ira Gross right there. And recording here at the City Winery. Big thank you to the City Winery Atlanta and um, for making this uh, a home away from home. And we're going to have our Osiris pod um, Big big banner hanging up because we are proud to be a member of this growing culture of of a growing community of music and culture podcasts. Right, there you Seth? go. You finally got that out of your mouth in one sentence. Yeah. So, Osiris, lots of news on Osiris. Can I give a little news here? Beep 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 beeps. Please do. I've got I've got episode recommendations. Do you want to give those in the beginning or the end? Well, one involves cash or trade, so I'll do that after you do your cash or trade thing. Well, then I'll start with telling everybody that Osiris Network is going to be at the Sweetwater 420 Festival taking place in Atlanta, Georgia. And Osiris Network is going to be uh, anchored by your friends here, WTNS. That's right. We're going to do a morning brew. It's a kickoff everyday morning brew uh, that's going to be available for all of you, not just to listen to, but on your way to Sweetwater, 420 Fest, or just, you know, listening, uh, you can tune into uh, Facebook. We'll be doing a Facebook Live, and hopefully that'll get pushed out all by the network, Relics Magazine, Osiris Network, and um, Sweetwater Beer, and Sweetwater 420 Festival, talking about the day ahead. Uh, we've got Taz as a confirmed artist that we're going to be talking with that morning. We also have Soja doing a bunch of stuff with us on Saturday, uh, in, including the kickoff and a WTNS interview and live in front of a live live audience at the experience tent and so much more we're going to tell you more about it we're going to push this out through our social media etc all part of what we're announcing tomorrow is the 419 got a minute to give which is the live auction and mobile auction uh benefiting all so basically all the bands that are participating um are raising money for their charity of choice so we're gonna have all this information pushed out through social media please do check it out and rob what did you have to say well, what's the cash or trade deal now? Tell, tell our listeners about cash or trade. Folks, if you want to learn about what a great organization cash or trade is, there's podcasts within the Osiris Podcast Network. And this episode, I'll tell you about podcast episode number 56 of Strangers Stopping Strangers with Brando Rich. Check that out. But, Seth, tell them, tell okay, them what's so going cash on. Or trade, um, <coughs> cash or trade.org is basically killing 
the secondary ticket market. They have been called the Airbnb of tickets. They help real fans like you all avoid the scalping and purchasing tickets uh, for face value. Uh, together, they are the change that this industry so badly needs. So badly needs. So if you go to go if you go to cashortrade.org slash Osiris, we're gonna go ahead through the network, give you twenty-five percent off their year of gold membership. And the gold membership comes with that option of receiving push and text notifications each time a ticket is posted that you're looking for. So you can also reply immediately without any delay and gain this renew feature to bump up your post to the top of the list, which is going to increase your post exposure when you're looking to get those hard tickets. So again, folks, go to cashortrade.org slash Osiris, O-S-I-R-I-S, and add the coupon code Osiris when you get to check out. That's 25% off. It's a great deal. You, you want to let Cash or Trade help you cut through the BS that is trying to get tickets sometimes. They're a very, very powerful resource to have on your side and also a great organization to support because they come from our scene, the folks, as you can learn from that episode that I recommended. Hey, a couple other episodes. Beep, 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 beep. The Sound Podcast, episode 75, Oliver Wood. Ooh, you got a chance. We still we got Oliver in the can. Oh, we got, I want to compare these two. Yeah, a little what one. But we got to go to Nashville and do a real one with him. Yes, yes. But so Ira talked to him. Uh, I'm curious. Did uh, did he play at all, or is it? I don't. I don't think so. Not not when it got to the point. I think it was uh, he. Ma- he mainly does phone interviews, so it's hard to do the f- the play thing on phone interviews. And then episode four, uh, 15 and sixteen of the Broke Down podcast is for Bobby fans. It's a Bobby song episode. Really, it's for Rob. And RJB is on there as well. Our boy, RJB, who started this whole hey, massive look thing. Who it hey, is. Benny Burl. Hey. We're all going to learn about Burl tonight. It's and all about Benny Burl tonight. Of course, you don't want to learn about Benny. <laughs> Maybe I got that backwards. <laughs> yeah, we're cutting, our, we're cutting our intros for the Jerry like, Joseph yeah, episode. Yeah, for Jerry Joseph right now. Oh, Jerry Joseph? You want to say hi to Jerry's fans? Yeah. Hey, hey, uh, Jerry Joseph fans. Uh, I don't know if I should say this. Go ahead. Your girlfriend used to live at my house. She was my renter in Durango. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, Small world, right? Well, what? we have her on the line right now, actually. Cindy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Romance in Durango. I don't want to get Jerry in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. At the time Jerry did it, he was in David Barbie's studio. And he's they're working on a new project, but it's still kind of up it's in still, the air. It's still new. They were just working out the drafts for the new project. Uh, let's see, we've got Sam Holt, John Neff, Daniel Hutchins, and John Mills. So with Daniel Hutchins and uh, and Jerry Joseph, those are two, two of the most underappreciated songwriters that you can imagine. Uh, two songwriters uh, about whom I love. The, the, the fact that Widespread Panic supports them so much is one of the reasons I, I love Widespread Panic, is that they support artists such as these. And now they're in a band together. But um, last I heard they were calling it Interstellar Boys. I don't see any tour dates for them right now. But Jerry does have tour dates, and I'll mention some of those uh, in the outro. But more importantly, since we did this interview, he released Weird Blood. Weird Blood. On Cavity Records, produced by Dave Schools. And he gave us an exclusive track that is apparently since then. I believe this is the track that's part of the Record Store Day release. It's a debut coming out here, a very special album, limited release on Record Store Day. Um, I could, if, listen, if I'm wrong, folks, email us at insideoutwtns at gmail.com and let me know. Because, you know, why not, right? I could be wrong. Rob loves when I'm wrong, by the way. But in the meantime, here's Jerry Joseph, and we'll have more Jerry information after, including uh, I'll recommend one of my favorite widespread sit-in shows. You know, before we move on, because as always, we always do this, but we're about to do something or not. We had some listener feedback, and I want to thank Brad Jacobson, who actually took the time to uh, well, not only listen to us, but to really tell us what he thought. And we appreciate your thoughts, and we all... 
don't be afraid to email us, folks. We, we appreciate your feedback. And it helps if you review us on iTunes or if you share any of our posts on social media. Because, you know, we're not, we're not in terrestrial radio. We don't have a big, major company behind us. Any, every little bit helps. Mm-hmm. And so please don't be shy. It, uh, or about sharing any, any of our teammates on the Osiris Pod. Remember to go to OsirisPod.com. Check out those shows. If you hear one you like, review them on iTunes. Support it. This is the wave of the future. And speaking of the wave of the future, I know an accounting firm that is the wave of the future. And folks, it is April. Well, it's just like two days away, but it's April. Don't, you don't want to get screwed, folks. I mean, it is time. It is time to get polayed. I highly suggest, we highly suggest you get in touch with Polay and Clark. Polay and Clark, 21st Century Accounting. More on this next time, but they've never needed to advertise. They do such a great job and care so much about their clients that it's all word of mouth. They are supporting us because they like the show. That's very true. Thank so, you for actually saying that. In a way, we're doing you a service by having them as a sponsor for us. So you're welcome. And we might even have to start charging listeners for the sponsorship. Maybe. P-O-L-A-Y. We're, we're, we're hooking them up. C-L-A-R-K dot com. So are you ready for some Jerry? Jerry. Oh, man, you pissed him off with some of your stupid attempts at humor. Oh, did I piss him off? Uh, he was trying to make serious points, and you're doing your goofy, shecky green crap. Yeah, you know what, Rob? Well, that gets him comfortable, and that's why he told us so much. And I, he really did. He, he, he gave us a great interview. That's not why. Very fascinating. Enjoy one. Jerry Joseph. Well, here is a porcelain divinity bust that I speak to when I am alone It's so hard to find people you love and you trust when you find yourself out on your own Here is a dagger a samurai sword that saw glory and blood in the dirt No matter how much we might pray to the Lord There's somebody who always gets hurt And the time flows faster Then water we all go Like lambs to the slaughter So take a hold of your sons and your daughters And fly Well, it's only appropriate that on Columbus Day here we are have the opportunity to interview a musician who is also very much of a world traveler himself, Mr. Jerry Joseph. Welcome, Jerry. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for um, having me. Jerry, let's start with the new stuff that you're working on with David here. You're you're working on a new record, correct? Um, Today, we are uh, are the very um, embryonic uh, moment of seeing how this this new band works in the studio. Um, I think the idea today is to try to get one or two songs over the next couple of days, and um, and it's a pretty and we've all known each other for a long time, but I don't think we've ever had, you know all been in the same room recording. Certainly, 
I have not been in the same room with these guys recording. They may have done all kinds of stuff. How many piece band is it? Well, that's a damn good question. Um, as of this writing, it's uh, Sam Holt on guitar, John Neff on pedal steel and guitar, Danny Hutchins on voice and guitar, me on voice and guitar, John Mills on bass guitar, and Todd Nance being the only person that's not holding a fucking six string in his hand. <laughs> or four string. Right? So when you come into a project like this, to what extent do you have in mind the material that you want, and to what extent does how the sessions unfold dictate the material that you're going to choose? I would say this is uh, hugely different than something that I normally do. Um, one, there's multiple writers, you know. Um, everybody writes songs. I, I think... Todd, Danny, Sam, and me in particular made records where we're the singer and the songwriter. um, So, yeah, yeah, I I, kind of didn't know what to expect. You know, what we were going to choose or what we were going to record. Um, And then we picked two songs and that's what we're going to go with in in the next two days. Um, it's 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 pretty nebulous as to as to what this is, you know. So, trying to define it in a recording studio is kind of mm-hmm. weird. So, so if you go ahead and record two tracks, you get them down. When's the next time you might be able to actually pick up where you left off, and would it be in the same studio? Um, I have a long hit for a person not from here. I have a long history here. Um, here being Athens, or here being with Barbie? Here being this studio. Oh, okay, and. Uh, you know, I think Dave Barbie is pretty intricately entwined um, with with all these guys. So I, I, I don't know what happens next. You know, I don't know if this turns into a full record or if it, if it, we just release some kind of single. Well, or you're, you're not one that, that hasn't released a, a whole album with just two songs before. So True. That was a very long, those were very long songs. Two 30-minute songs. <laughs> yeah. One thing I found interesting reviewing your career is that you seem to be very adept on playing off a second guitar, and your lyrics seem well served by that often, yet you've not chosen to play off another guitar often. Are you looking forward to doing that in this project, and why have you not played with a second guitar more over the course of your career, do you think? Well, for a long time, there was always another guitar player, you know, and Little Women. Way back. Um, but ten. since it's been Jerry Joseph... Well, when we or first put the Jag Mormons together, I mean, there was actually a keyboard player for a while. Um, something happened with him. His mom got sick, and we played these shows three-piece. I've always been kind of a trio fan. I'm a big Husker Du guy. I'm like, you know, Robin Trower. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I like that sound. And... Uh, We've done different things where we've taken out second guitar players. Um, I never really thought of myself as a guitar player. Like, that's not what I would have said about myself first when someone's like, what do you do? What would you have said? Lyricist, right? I'm a singer. Um, I'm a front guy, you know? Kind of, I'm I'm not... No one's ever inviting me to the big, you know, voodoo master jam or something you know i don't think anybody looks at me like that i'm a i'm a um 
We won't see at bluegrass jams around the campfire. No one invites me to the, yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but over the years, I've been playing the guitar since I was five years old. Um, I think finally in the past few years, I, 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 I think I am an identifiable guitar player. And uh, I've maybe only recently taken some sort of a, attitude about it you know um as far as my playing and and what i do and 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 especially in kind of constant comparison with other guitar players whatever the hell goes on in the music industry um i like having other instruments because it lets me it lets me focus on 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 singing or fronting or or or, or, or whatever but 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 i definitely like both and i also do a lot of solo tours and you know so um when I'm 56 years old, hopefully I do a, a wide variety of things. And you were just down in Miami. Was that really your first time playing Miami? You were just playing Boca. You yeah, I had this thing about uh, I never played. I've never played in Detroit. I've never played in Miami, Quebec City, Halifax, Halifax, and I've never played in North or South Dakota. I'm kind of on this mission. There's there's some like secondary, tertiary cities that I've never. You know, I don't think I've ever been to Brownsville. You want? You should do your um, missing cities tour. We're, t- we're talking about it, yeah. And um, so I was just on this mission. I wanted to play Miami. I, I had barely spent any time in Miami, and uh, that's how that all came together. Um, and it actually went pretty well. It was, it was fun. And then you stopped at Tampa, where you've probably you've played Tampa a ton. I used to play Tampa a lot with my friend John West. Would do those shows in Skipper, Orlando. Skippers, yeah. It's not that I haven't played in Florida. I've yeah, played yeah. Right. Tallahassee and all those places a lot. But just there was um, Miami's a tough market. Yeah, I mean, I guess you it's know, unpredictable. I, I actually really liked it. You know, I, I, I've lived long enough in New York City that that I would have thought I had more of a relationship with that place. You know. Everybody's parents were constantly yeah moving there going to Boca Raton <laughs> or something you know rat's mouth yeah, yeah right yeah and anyways uh, Miami Herald did a a piece on you while you were down there and it touched on something I've always admired about you because I I've worked with singer songwriters a lot and I know that it's tough to keep the career going and you could very easily just continue touring the states and nurturing your own career nurture your own career but you have often chosen to go overseas particularly Nicaragua, Iraq. Most recently, as spoken about in, in Miami Herald, was uh, Kabul and um, Syria, working with Syrian refugees. Um, this is just amazing work to you, to me, that, that you do it. And, and the most recent one, going working with the Syrian refugees and working in Kabul, how did those specifically come about? Well, Kabul, which was a couple of years ago now, um, I had been... I've traveled, in any ways. The Jack Mormons um, have always tried to do these kind of weird, you know, three-night runs. Um, we started a long time ago in doing like Costa Rica and uh, Nicaragua, right? and it was, you know, it goes pretty far back. I mean, pretty pre, even the idea of like jam cruises or these, or these. Um, all in, all inclusive things, you know, where uh, where uh, where artists tend to pour tequila down people's throats. Exactly, and sober artists. Sober artists. That's right. <laughs> we'll get to that later. And uh, 
it was always cool for our fans, I think, because, you know, if we played Nicaragua, it was like, you know, nobody was meeting you at the airport and handing you a, a an umbrella drink and shuttling you off to our thing. Um, to the contrary, we had done one of those with a big band one time, long time ago, and you realize that their fan base had never actually met a local. You know, they sort of, I think this was in Costa Rica, and they, like, so what did you think of the country? You know, I have no fucking idea. They got there and they shuttled to the hotel and then they shuttled to the band's concert and then maybe they went to some poolside jam and then, then they got back in a bus and went back to the airport and they were gone. It's like a lot of these in, inclusive things. You know, the, the Dominican Republic, you're not going to meet a Dominican, you know, unless they're serving you a drink or sucking your fucking dick, you know. It's like the, the, the point of those things is to not have to interact with people. We were trying to, you know, I, I don't think it's some altruistic, you know, let's just bring the people together. I, I'm not saying we were that thought out, but, 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 but the part of it was was fun. You know, you find a Managua, you using music to break down barriers. Well, you, no, just have an adventure. Originally, you know, you come to Managua, rent a car, here's a map, figure out where we are. You know, like it's, you gotta like drive through the country <laughs> and figure out where get to are. where we were and then there's a three day show and my... How many people would do something like that? Sometimes we'd get around a hundred, you yeah. know, that would come in and then a lot of locales, you know, like in, you know, the the gringos that live there and then, and then, um, you know, local people that were interested and, and so it started doing this thing. Um, also my travels I had been a couple of places that were that were at war or recently had just recently quit fighting um, all my life and then uh, a few years ago I decided look I'm never going to be a big rock star and no one's ever going to invite me to Saigon, so we started figuring out how to do it on our own. And I, a really good friend of mine lives in Kempot, Cambodia. We set up these shows um, with a filmmaker, my friend Justin Bonolio. And we set up this tour. It was like Cambodia, Vietnam, Malaysia, Thailand. We did that, and it was cool. And um, then we did one that was Lebanon and Israel. And um, because of the Lebanese Israeli thing and then we just happened to be in Tel Aviv um, the day that everybody in Tel Aviv was like Hamas could never hit Tel Aviv with a missile never in a million years and I, whoa first one hits and uh, yikes you know and and we kept playing our shows we were funny I just ran into this woman the other day who was like do you remember my show and I, I forget the town about an hour north of Tel Aviv and she came up and she's like um so sorry. She goes, you know, we sold a lot of tickets to this show, and you know, the place is like empty. And, uh, she goes, but but war broke out, and <laughs> no one's coming. I'm like, well, I've heard every excuse you could <laughs> possibly imagine in the music business. I'm like, that's a first. So Shouldn't there would be you something say, in the oh, writer about that? <laughs> what? Uh, you, well, you would you would say that show bombed? Yeah, the show bombed. Sure, but we kept playing the shows, and it was cool. And so, um. A friend of a friend uh, had started a, a um, my good friend Robin Reichsick. She's now my good friend. Um, she and her Afghan boyfriend had started a music rock school in Kabul. 
Um, sort of what was going on was that the Taliban had issued a fatwa on on aid workers. Um, you know, that was kind of our fault. So we, it's like a war on it aid means workers. A, it means a religious decree uh, of, of execution. Yeah, calling to kill. Wow. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, like Solomon Rushdie, that was a that was a that was a fatwa introduced by clerics, you know, or, or imams. Um, in this case, it was kind of our fault. We used we used polio vaccination to find Bin Laden. So when the, you know, that's how they found him, they were going door to door. A CIA sponsored polio vac- vaccination thing, and 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 they they kind of knew where they thought he was, and go to door to door, and then they find so. There's a huge, you know, a huge outbreak of like in 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 the Pushdown uh, where where they're killing the fucking aid workers because now they're the CIA and oh, shit. people yeah. are like that's crazy, but you're like it's not that crazy. That's what yeah. they actually did, you know. So, and you wonder about your FedEx delivery guy, but hey, we won't go there. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so they got a hold of me and said, um, "Awesome, that was crazy fast." It's really close. <laughs> that is Ben. Ben um, has helped us out too. Thank you, Ben. Ben's who's wearing a forty watt T shirt. Nice. Um, so they got a hold of me. They're like, <laughs> you've been to some of these places and weird war zones and stuff. And our the people they're pulling out the the one of the nonprofit organizations that a couple of these people were teaching at the school, and they asked if if, if I would come. So I did, and I started. Um, we did a lot of fundraising, and we brought. A, this was a rock school, so we brought um, tons of stuff. Did I say that twice? Tons of stuff. You can say it ten. You can say um, a ton of times. It's fine. We amps and bass amps and drum equipment and all these guitars, and it was super crazy. And 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 in in terms of transportation. Um, you, the, the killer on this shit is shipping. Yeah, so yeah. how do you... First of all, you, you started by saying that it's a fun, you, you did fundraising and stuff, but this tour, did you... I mean, that's... To get out there and do this, to bring all that stuff... I mean, we, we tried doing a thing where we called Tents for Refugees, where we pick up tents at music festivals, and then we had all these tents, and we wanted to get them to Haiti. We couldn't get them to Haiti. It cost more to get them to Haiti than yeah. it would be to buy and ship them there. can be New. a logistical nightmare. Oh, yeah. So how do you? How did you? Well, you know, you I mean, and at one at one point, I think you know, with the trying to get the stuff into Afghanistan. Yeah, I have a friend who's a CEO of a major, major international. Um, um, uh, I just wonder what I'm supposed to say on these things. Um, he, he he runs Overstock.com, and he. And his team were helping us tremendously, like, you know, with, with ground logisti- logistics and everything. Still, we get there, and the, the Afghans want to tax everything, including the shipping that was donated. Hmm. And at one point, I think my friend's like, you know, this is, this is like for your kids, you know? They're like, yeah, man, we got plenty of kids. <laughs> you know, like, kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, and... So we paid all that. I mean, and and had this amazing thing. And this was so. This was a rock school. And Robin taught. Um, now she's running the Afghan Women's Orchestra, and it's just 
incredible, you know. Um, but she uh, she more taught the younger girls and stuff piano. But she's a cellist, amazing cellist. She plays in a was playing in a band called Arc Iris out of out of Providence, Rhode Island. Great band. And um, and then me and my friend Michael were teaching guitar to the you know sixteen to twenty two year old. Do they speak English? Couple. Did you have a translator? Yeah. Um, most of those, most of the kids that I was dealing with spoke 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 English. Were these they kids from like wealthy families, or is this just? Ah, uh, the one kid walked for um, five miles. Um, I I think if they were from wealthy families, the families didn't know. You get killed for that. You know, had the had the Taliban taken the city and somehow found video of these kids learning guitar with me who wouldn't be good for them Shit. Or, or their families um, and then so we did that and, and, and it was great and, and, and you know it was probably greater for me than it was for them I mean you know well, the, so we look in the future and you find out that you just created the next Bob Dylan of that, that generation that era that area I, I think they got their own Bob Dylan's um you know, you. I did some shows. Um, there were some Pakistani musicians there that were. You know, you're talking to these guys. You know, uh, you're like, you know, they're like, well, you know, some someone will say like, you know, he's a, he's in a really big rock band in Pakistan. And you're like, you know, what's a really big rock band in Pakistan? They're like six fucking million copies of their record. Wow. You know, people forget that all over the world there's people. Yeah, I met <laughs> you know I met a kid in in, in Kuala Lumpur that that that. Uh, at an open mic night. I had never in my entire life played an open mic night. And I've always been the singer in the band since I was 12 years old, you know, like, and um, go to do this open mic night and and these other bands are amazing. We're like doing it to film at Kuala Lumpur. It's like one giant mall. It's like Miami in the jungle or Phoenix hmm. in the jungle or, you know, just malls and malls and malls and malls. And, um, and I meet the kid and I go, this is great, you know, a kid. You know, so my age like mid 20s you know um and he goes yes he said you know i i had a very successful record last year and this is my way to give back to the musical community and typical american i'm like yeah i'm like what's a successful record in Kuala Lumpur he's like three million copies hmm. you know no label no manager um <laughs> and i i think that this then turned into Iraq, which is where I was. I was not in Syria. I was in the, I was in northern Iraq, Kurdistan, close to the Syrian border. So you working were not, with Syrian refugees. Working uh, with Kurdish refugees. I like Syrian the fact refugees. that you have a a rock camp in Iraq. A what? A rock camp in Iraq. Well, yeah, we we we. There was a joke to put. Uh, sure, um, the. Uh, the thing with that stuff, you know, as far as music, and I, this is what I would, was pushing, you know, with 16-year-old Syrian Kurdish girls stuck in permanent refugee camps. Um, and also that I've said, like, the few times I've had to speak publicly or, 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 or like, I was at some award ceremony and I had to give a speech but the, um, we all sit here and bemoan the music industry you know like nobody can't I mean, 
right now we're making a record. What the fuck does that mean anymore? I spent a lot of money and a lot of time and thought I made a really great record, my last record. I could tell you both people that heard it liked it, you know? Um, so it's, 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 uh, it's just this weird time. It's weird to be 56 years old and a musician and, and not a famous musician and trying to negotiate doing this for a living. Uh, but, but what I always say is, is in the history of the human relationship with art, since the first time that, you know, a guy in a cave in France figured out that he could put the blueberry juice and the black charcoal and the red berry juice and make a picture of a, of a buffalo or since that moment in the entire history of humanity and art, this is the most exciting time to be 20 years old and making art. Um, there are no rules. You know, you can, you can, if you've got the fortitude and the creativity and whether you're a young girl in a Syrian refugee camp or you're a, you know, mega death loving guitar player in Kabul or, um, or a quadriplegic, you know, with a, with a, one of those, you know, Stephen Hawking style uh, breathing thing. You can make art and you can get it to people. And you can make art with other people, you know? We could all sit here right now and, you know, tap into guys in Edinburgh and, and Wellington, New Zealand and, and, and Uruguay and all sit here together and make art. And then all push our freaking social media things and who knows, you know? I got 30,000 people. You probably have more, you know? And all those people will see the art, you know? So it's 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 it's... It's a super exciting time, you know. I, I look at my children and I look at, you know, the future of of everything, but uh, but the future of art in particular, and 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 I, I think it's just going to get more amazing. But specific know? to the refugees, do you find that they're, they're that it's a source of hope that creating art and interacting with artists, because um, it, it it can be a pretty despaired situation being removed from your country and not sure where your next move is. That's what the, the situation yeah, I, for a lot of these people, right? I, I hate the word empowerment. It's such a lame-ass word. <laughs> um, you know, the point with them, it's like, look, I'm showing you how to play the guitar because that's what I know how to do and save my life, you know? Um, but it could be clay and or paints or dance shoes or whatever. I go, once you start thinking like that, I'm like, they never take that away from you. They could take the physical guitar, they could take the dance shoes, they could take the paint, but they're never going to take... This is the point where the listener... He's pointing to his head. Yeah. I'm pointing to my head, I'm How tapping that, my head. Can well, you that's that's one of your moves, though, tapping your head. You and uh, Peter uh, Prince to kind of share that. <laughs> How's that not empowering, though? I don't understand your... It reticence. is empowering. It's just I don't, the words is so overused, you know? Um, and I... And I uh, you know, I'm like, they can't take it away from you. You can go down this road of creativity, and you're not alone. Well, it also yeah. teaches people how to how to breathe intent and how to express stuff that they're not used to expressing. The "you're not alone" thing pops up a lot with you. That that's a lot of the ways you connect with people, and a lot of what your goal is, is ly- not just with what you're talking about with the refugees, but with the lyrics. Yeah, talk about that lyric, Rob. Which one? The one we we're talking about with the song. You talking about the giraffe one? Yeah. Well, we can get to that later. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that. But 
Is that not a big part of the way how you connect with your audiences? Is that you're trying to reach out? Uh, well, what about the Jeff Tweedy song that Mavis Staples does? Have you heard that one? You're not alone. Yeah, yeah. That kind of reminds me of you. I should cover that song for a while. It absolutely would fit in with yeah. your. Um, can you talk about that? And, and, and is that a big source of your motivation too, uh, as a as a performer and as a lyricist and a singer? I think. Uh, What I do for a living might be one of the most supremely selfish things you could go through your life doing. Right? The, my whole life is is and I would say this for most musicians is you know let me sing about my problem, my dick, my you know whatever it is. You know, it's like you know, and so you get so sick of these freaking people that are just like constantly like we're just bringing the love and we're all you know like fuck you, man. You're standing up there and you're the bringing the love guy. Like, that's what you're doing, you know? And <laughs> you're branding yourself. You're branding yourself as I'm the bringing the love guy, you know? And, and, and I'm certainly in How danger of that too, you know? Like, yeah, I'm the guy that just selflessly goes and teaches kids to play, you know, Bob Marley songs in war zones. It's nothing, you know? It's just the, the little I can do to, 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 to share empowerment and, and, and a sense of community. You know, I, I could puke on my own words as, as easily as I could, you know. Um, but, I, but I do know, for me, that, that there's a couple things. One, I've always been attracted to... My favorite moment in the human experience is when I'm watching people offer themselves to God um, I've been in the Ganga you know Varanasi or I've, I've, I've been in cathedrals and wherever or, or little teeny you know huts in Mexico th- th- and huts and <laughs> yeah you know like little finca churches and, and, and you know a lot of these things and I find that to be the most beautiful moment in, in the human experience and I think that one of the reasons that that's so powerful is because that's a moment where people don't feel alone. We could argue all day whether there's really a God or anybody's listening or whatever, but for them at that moment, they're part of something. They're part of something bigger. And um, so then you get around to this well, music is my church, man. You know, I don't believe in God. I go see, you know, fish or whatever. Are you quoting me? <laughs> you, you, do, you do listen to the podcast. <laughs> I told you, hey, you listen. listen. <laughs> some guys have Mohammed. Some guys have <laughs> Tweezer. You know, it's, <laughs> it's got to be at least fifteen minutes long, too. Uh, if I, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I noticed. In my shows, and I forget when I said this one time, it was kind of really random. I must have been listening to somebody. I'm walking off stage and I'm like, we love you. I'm like, God loves you. And I'm, and I'm like, good night. You know? and, 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 I, and I look back and these people are just like crying and they're holding each other. And, and because people are lonely, you know, and people are scared and, 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 um, Would you say it's one of the great ironies of our time that we're so interconnected by this internet, but it's also one of the easiest times to feel 
apart from it all because of that. I think it's an absolute. I I I, I think it breeds an insane amount of loneliness. I I think it it jealousy relationships between you know our sexuality tied to porn, you know, and and things you can't touch or or. You know, people that are like, I have 5,000 friends. I'm like, is one of those fucking people going to back you in a bar fight? Right. Rob, are one of those people actually going to reach repost your episode? Right, yes. <laughs> well, one of them, I always use it, the bar <laughs> fight. Is, is one of those people going to back you in a bar fight? Because uh, I know yeah, I like that, yeah. that when shit's coming down, I'm hoping that the two guys I'm with are going to stand next to me. You know, and I'll start the car. What? I'll start the car. Yeah, we'll that's Seth's role. Everybody <laughs> wants to start the car. I'll be scrapping with you. <laughs> I'll take some punches for Jerry Listen, Joseph. Listen, man, I got fucking one guy, and I got eight guys in the car. It's running. <laughs> when I defend Jerry... They're not getting out of the car, but, you know, just so you know, if we're going to make it... Um, that fist just hurt my eye. But it's a... You know, I, I think there's this thing with... with. It's mixed, man. It's... You know, it's... it's I love the idea of... of, of the globe being interconnected. I love the idea that that my mom, you know, me and my brother would come back and like, you know, kind of beat up or something, and she'd be like, "What happened?" We're like, "The freaking pigs beat the shit out of us." You know, she'd be like, "No, they didn't." You know, they're the police. And then suddenly, whoa, check it out! Everybody's got a camera. You know, like she. I mean, she, we had this conversation the other day. She goes. I always thought you were making that up, you know, that the police would never actually do that to you. Hmm. Well, now, you, you are white, so. And now every 10, 10 seconds, you know, I, and I also deserved it. <laughs> I was not a very good child. Um, well, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. That, Anyways, I don't know how we get to that thing about alone, but I, I, I just have this thing about humans and, and their being connected and, and, and the commonality and, and, and my last sort of overused analogy, I, I, I've never been anywhere, anywhere, where people don't wake up in the morning and pray to some god, make some tea, make some coffee, take a shit, wash their hands and face, or take a shower, or clean themselves, go out and kiss their children or kiss their spouse and walk out the door to do the best fucking job that they can. I've never been anywhere that that's not true. And and all of us have that in common. Now, once you get out the door or once you get out the church, all bets are off. You know, I mean, you may walk out the door and go on to your white supremacist, you know, Nazi day or, or you know... Kisses his children. He goes out. He goes. Okay, it's a great day to be an ISIS. You know? <laughs> but, but we all, you know, we all have this common moment. You know, and and, and <laughs> it's amazing how we can get from that point to to hating each other's guts. You know, of which I'm just as guilty. Yeah, but that's an interesting interesting to take it back though. Is that you know, if someone's a fish fan or a widespread panic fan. There was that time where, you know, they're achieving the same thing collectively, but then they're like, oh, no, it's this or that. And then you take it to religion, the same thing. And it's constant. But, but, but where they oh, we're go. We're really comparing fish and widespread panic like Palestinians and fucking Israel. Well, you really could. No, well, they could. used to battle. The fan bases used Back to battle. The they day. don't anymore. You could. Uh, no. It's, like, it's a different thing. It's like no, no. comparing 
That's like comparing peanut M and M's to Skittles, not peanut M and M's. <laughs> the point panic is, panic fish. That's like they're all M and M's. One's got peanuts and right. one's got like you know fried chicken in it or something. I don't know. You know, but it's, that it's, would be good. <laughs> But, but if we can, because this yeah, might lead yeah, to the giraffe yeah, song. Part of what you're saying maybe is that we all get in these bubbles. We can block out those we don't disagree with, and I think that's part of the polarity of it. And to me, I call a lot of those people ostriches because they have their head buried in the sand. Now, when you write giraffe and you talk about having your head up and, and around, I, I, there's two different ways I could take that song. Can you, can you, can you walk me through that? Is, is it giraffe being aware and alert of all that's around you, or is a giraffe looking down on people being haughty? Or what? Or what no, is your? No, I think it's, I think it, I, I think in actually that case, it's the giraffe is, it's kind of the, the. What would be the word? It's just the opposite of the ostrich. It's not yeah, putting his, definitely. He's not putting his head in the sand. He's putting right. Don't look down is what the song says. Sure, it says don't look down. Nothing down here but the hurt and the trash. The stuff you or already the know. Close to the past, or like just keep looking up. It's it's kind of a um, anti bubble. Yeah, it's its its own bubble. It's sort of saying it's kind of saying don't address the issues. I, I I think you could, you could you could. Somebody said so. Basically, just stay high, right? Yeah, I looked up with a methadone gaze through the halogen lights in the halocene haze, and you raised up your glass. Said there's no shame for getting the dead. Said I got tired of the trouble down there So I'm staying up here With my head in the air Cause it's too high for ghosts To make a home in my head Yeah, the ground is littered With the bones of the past So I look to the sky I've become a giraffe or giraffe I mean, there's Look a around ways that what's around you. Don't get lost in your own past and your own misery. Sure. Be aware of what's affecting other people, even if it's something you don't take an interest in. That 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 song sure. really hit me. Or being in the moment. I mean, I, I've had people tell me different things. Super it's, Buddhist, you know, like like. You, know, you don't, don't get caught up in the. Don't look down into the suffering all the time. Like look up into the. Um, but I do know that that song seems to where I've you know it's not an old song, but everywhere I've played that song, you know, Europe or the Middle East or Africa or, or you know, South Pacific, where I've been recently, it, it seems like everybody sort of gets it. You know, they're all like, drop you, giraffe. Which is a funny animal. You know, it's not a super sexy power. You know, no one's like, you know, the giraffe is my totem animal. <laughs> it would be a totem, though. <laughs> it would be a totem. If it had all the other, you know. All right, we'll show Jerry the Wayback Machine. Can you do the Wayback Machine noise? <clears throat> San Diego, early 70s. 
Now, you just related that you were 12 years old, you were already a front man of a band. What, what was the first band? Everybody, most of those guys, I don't know any of those people anymore. I thought we were called Saucy Varlet. I remember my parents had the brilliant idea to, to let us rehearse in the garage because then um, they knew where I was. <laughs> Keep you out of trouble, too. Get in trouble at home, not... So he gets beaten by his father instead of the police. Yeah, no, my dad was, he was... Uh, a marine biologist? They were pretty, they were, they were very uh, encouraging of my music. Um, but I don't remember the name. I remember playing, like, a couple things at school, and then we played some parties, and, and you know, but I think I got my electric guitar. I think it was, I was 11. What inspired you? What, 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 to initially have an interest in guitar? What was the. I was little. I was a little boy. Um, I. We watched uh, Ozzie and Harriet. And Ricky Nelson would come on every show and play a song. And I would pretend I was Ricky Nelson. My parents would go, Ricky Joseph or <laughs> Jerry Nelson. And I had a little. You know, we live right next to Mexico. I had a little toy guitar and then they bought me one my mom says I was six I thought I was five and um did you ever do I forgot more about love than you'll ever know that one no isn't that Ricky maybe it was the it was the image of him I'm sure much more than the music um well he influenced Dylan too I have a little kid and then and then I also remember I remember the first time I wrote a song was the Beatles had a had a there was a cartoon oh yeah it was a Saturday cartoon of the Beatles and I went into my room after that and I wrote this song called Loveland and um still the best song I wrote and uh I, mean, I, I, I had to be six seven at the most you know so um you know I people clapped and, and all I've wanted my whole life was people to clap for me and pay attention to me and um you gotta be careful how you say that you don't want people to have a t-shirt all i want in my life is the clap no but we were talking about we were talking about it the other day i uh was talking to a friend who has a a, a mentally challenged child and she said well you know he's touched i'm like what I never used, heard that word used. And this was a severely autistic kid. He's touched. I've been thinking about that word a lot. Because um, I use words that all my friends with mentally challenged kids get really mad at me when I'm using them in terms of Donald Trump or something. And um, I get more anger for using a word, you know. <laughs> so I like that word touched. And I was like, that would be a great name for a record, touched. And then it would be a great t-shirt that says, I was touched by Jerry Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I don't know actually. if my wife likes that very much. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, depends where the, the word touched is on the shirt. <laughs> sure. So how much did music play? Uh, we have something in common, by the way. We both kind of fucked up in ninth grade, and then our parents wanted us to go to boarding school. But you went to New Zealand. I want to ask about that. But before that, was the music part of, was that pulling you away from school? And, and was that really, were you more motivated by that? And was that... It, it, what seemed in the short term the trouble? No, music, um, 
was the thing that probably kept me tethered to any kind of reality. I think everybody realized that. I, I had a great uh, drama teacher. Remember, those years, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade was junior high, right? So we were in, I was in elementary school through ninth grade or through sixth grade. And my drama teacher always kept giving me like a good role in the yearly production as a way to sort of mitigate um, me getting kicked out of school. And How uh, many years were you a tree? A tree? Yeah, the drama, right? The tree? I kind of, you know, my tree phase was in the early 90s when I went into that sort of, you know, stoic. I, I was a weeping willow and then I was, see if you could see this at home. <laughs> He's just my amazing tree dance. <laughs> it's Hippie Jerry. <clears throat> oh, yeah. There, there was a hippie Jerry for a long time. Um, anyways, you know, I, I think music. Uh, I, I think the the you know, one of the regrets of my life was that I was good enough at it that I probably would have had a a pretty decent time in high school. Hmm. I never made it to high school, but but the. Uh, um, you know, it wouldn't have been that bad, you know. But I, I wanted to be, you know, I also wanted to be like, I wanted to be a, all the things I'm not. I wanted to be a tough guy and an outlaw, and, you know. But so, I'm amazed. How much had you traveled by ninth grade <coughs> with your family or apart? But how much had you been out of the country at that point in your life? I mean, I don't know if I'd been out of North and South America, but I, I had, I had, you know, a lot of Central America. We, we grew up right next to Mexico. Um, Still, New Zealand. Traveled, and my father traveled all over the world. You know, sure. He's a marine biologist. Worked with a lot of tuna fisheries. Yes. Do you ever work with uh, Ian Anderson, who did the salmon stuff? Why did I know that name? Ian Anderson's Jethro Tull, and he owned salmon fisheries around the same time. Oh. Or is that? A I think my dad was primarily. Uh, he was about global tuna catch quotas and um, he was a conservationist and then fortunately unfortunately for my family but fortunately for the world I think when we were in New Zealand he's credited with having written the papers that the kind of a bold statement but this is what the guy said at the, at the eulogy um, that's considered what saved the Pacific Dolphin and um, quite noble yeah, he, yeah, he got nominated for the Nobel and stuff. But I, I don't. Um, and he's funny, you know. He came from. He was the. My grandparents were from Syria and Lebanon, and uh, his parents and settled in East LA. He was the youngest of thirteen, two bedroom house. Goes on to become this world renowned scientist who all he ever wanted was his kids to go to college, and neither me or my brother <laughs> went to college, and <laughs> you know. Um, so I've spent a lot of time in my life reading to catch up for my lack of education, and I hate my lack of education. It seemed quite a lot sharper than some people who have education, but I want to get back into that mentality. So the whole family moved to New Zealand. You didn't get shipped off to boarding school in New Zealand. After no, we day. all moved to New Zealand. Okay. Yeah. Was that daunting at all, and was it hard for you to meet friends on the other side of the world, or, or were you already at that point able to assimilate quickly? We just, we were just there. Um, me and a couple of friends. I just played some shows. Uh, maybe it's been a year. Um, 
and I to- we were going to meet some people that I knew from that time. And I told my friends, I go, you know, all these stories I've told about New, Ze- New Zealand, I'm pretty sure I made that all up. You know, I, I think I made up these stories because when I came back to the U.S. and I would, then I was kind of incarcerated for a while. And the, uh, I think I made those up just to be tough, you know. And then Young. we get there and the people are talking and I'm looking at them like, I thought I made that up. They're like, no. <laughs> you didn't make that up. You actually did that. Okay. Um, it, was a, it was a bummer for my family. And then I was sent away. You know, I had to leave the country. Um, Do you want to share one thing with us? One so I started smoking cigarettes. Carrie Duncan, apparently he died of lung cancer, told me I didn't smoke cigarettes. And, and he goes, you got any cigarettes? I go, no. He goes, well, if you want any friends, you better get some. I remember that, like my second day there. Huh. And, uh, like jail. Yeah, but this was, we, we lived in, I, I was just there. We, my dad had rented this place up this road, Belmont. It was gorgeous. It was like um, kind of a farmhouse and there were paddocks. And I remember like smoking, um, they called them Buddha sticks. They were like Thai sticks. And I remember reading The Lord of the Rings and looking out in this rainy paddock and, and ponies and, and gorse and all this shit. And then... 30 years later or however many years later I'm with my band we all go to see Lord of the Rings the opening credits and I'm like bawling they're like why are you crying I'm like cause cause that's it cause Peter Jackson made the fucking movie and everything that I was imagining as I was reading that book he filmed it there hmm. like crazy it was like one of the most crazy like movie literature things and um how are we doing in there we're about ready. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of the other stuff that happened down there, um, I was telling a story the other day about, I had gone from Southern California. I had a little bit of this, I think, when I showed up at my cousins in East L.A. for the summer in my yellow corduroys and my, and my, and my <clears throat> kind of Hawaiian shirt. Where pretty much some vato was kicking my fucking ass every day. <laughs> so by the time I got to New Zealand, it was this very kind of working class gang culture. And we were talking about, it still is, this place, Lower Hut. You know, my parents thought they were getting this like idyllic farm thing. And they were, but you had to go down the hill into this thing. And it was like everybody was in a gang. You know, they were like the Tai Tai Boy. And they all had these funny names, you know, the, the towns. And. So the the whites were all in different gangs and motorcycle gangs. Then the Maoris, there was the Black Power and the Monger Mob. And then there were the Tongans and the Rarotongans and the Fijians and the Samoans and everybody kicking the shit out of each other. The only difference between East L.A. was that nobody had guns. But it all it almost made it more hyper-violent. And I just kind of like walked into it, you know. Um, I don't think anybody called me anything but Yankee cunt for a year. Mm. Like, I don't remember everybody, anybody ever saying my name. Right, hey, Yankee, come, come here. I, you know, I sing some piss with us. Right, I, and they always do that. Just for clarity, cunts like, use like a preposition over there, right? And it's a very, very commonly used word. Right? Yeah, I think, I, I think it means... Um, Fellow. The, the guy that brings... <laughs> it's their um, shalom. <laughs> the, the guy that's their shalom. <laughs> I thought it meant... I thought it meant... Bring, I thought it meant, like, we're not alone. We're all in this together. 
Rastafari. But <laughs> we're all chasing the same thing. <laughs> Shalom. What is that book? Peace. Is that the Yiddish policeman's... It's the one that's in Alaska, and they've all been chased out of Israel, and... and, and like the 67 war, the Arabs win, so they all move to Alaska. Maybe I don't know about this. Yiddish Policeman's Union. And so Sitka, Alaska is a Jewish city of 4 million people. And a gun is called a shalom because it's a peace. <laughs> right? It's, um, it's, it's Michael Literal. Chabon. It's, 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 it's a great book. Shalom. Well, let me ask you this. You said your parents are so supportive of your music career. When you come back from New Zealand and you're going through this incarceration era, did their support of you, your music career wane at all, or did they, how, how did their uh, attitude toward you change or stay the same? There wasn't a lot of contact by that point. I was in a pretty weird place. I was in this privately run Mormon lockdown facility. Um, the, the, and then I was emancipated when I got out. It's 17. So, um, but, you know, ultimately, Whatever they'd hoped I would do for school, my dad gave me the money to make the first Little Women record, Life's Just Bitchin'. And um, they were really supportive. And I think a couple of times, you know, they, I don't know what was worse for them. My, I have met very few kids, certainly from my parents that never divorced, upbringing in La Jolla that got in as much trouble as I did. Um, I think it was harder for them the later years of all the heroin years, you know? Mm. I, I think that was more, I, I think that hurt my dad a lot more. Um, I think he got the trouble thing, but the, you know, the heroin addiction thing, I think for him was killing. And you got into heroin differently than a lot of people are now, because now it's all through the prescription drugs and then not being able to do the prescription drugs and still want to get that high and right. they go to heroin. Sure. Whereas what, what, what brought you to it? Southern California, 70s, you know? Was any smoking pot. My wife is a fifth grade teacher. When we were talking the other day, and she was talking about the kids and what they're into, I'm like, you know, we were smoking pot in fifth grade. You know, we were, we were high. You know, it's Southern California, 1972 or whatever. You know, and and um, but I really didn't become a bad heroin addict until uh, it's kind of right after I lost my deal with Capricorn. You know, at this point, I'm like 30 years old and. I thought I was totally washed up, you know, I'm like 30 years old, My, you know, me and Danny talk about it all the time. It was supposed to be Danny Hutchins, Jerry Joseph, Widespread Panic, and Colonel Bruce. And last, last, like, you know, 11th hour, they passed on me and Danny, which was too bad, because we would have had hits. If you think about love and happiness and quarter tank of gasoline or whatever, like, Capricorn would have actually had hits, you know. Um, fuck them. North. Well, this is even... but So, I think that's when I was like, you know, like ball players or runway models or something, you know. I thought I'm 30 years old. I didn't get this deal. I'm, I'm washed up, you know. That's when I became pretty hardcore, but... Um, well, for example, when you, when, you just, when you left Little Woman, you got a punk ska bassist, right, to play with you. I mean, that was indic indicative of... Career your, suicide. Excuse me? <laughs> Career suicide. Well, an indifference to wanting to be any formula that you always were motivated. Uh, inner locus of control would be a, a word, a phrase, maybe. You know, that time is a pretty short amount of time from when 
Little Women broke up and I finally kicked heroin in 95 and six months later we were starting the Jack Mormons. It was not a thought out thing. Okay. Um, I had this drummer friend Jim Bone and I and I played a solo show and he came with Junior and he said, we're your band. And um, Junior played stand-up in a rockabilly band. His claim to fame was to be able to play Drink a Miller High Life and, you know, s- sing some, you know, Marty Robbins tune or something. And, uh, but I was listening to all that stuff, you know. I, I, I w- the music I was listening to was, was a lot heavier. And we, all, we always talk about it because we, I got clean, started the Jack Mormons. This is a really short amount of time. It was kind of like a comeback tour. We did this tour of the West. Everything was sold the fuck out. I come out with Junior and this drummer, and you know, play songs that are still big songs for me now with my fans. You know, Road to Damascus and Speedwater, and and then the next time we came, tumbleweeds. Like I lost that whole fan base. Huh. Um, at the same time, you know, like String Cheese Incident was starting. I mean, I remember that clearly. You know, like and. Somebody's saying, you gotta like, you know, I'm like, do that? <laughs> Fuck you, man, you know? But it always put me in a, in a, I was always in this weird position where like, you know, somebody used to laugh at me this long time ago. Like, You're like the Henry Rollins of the jam scene. I'm like, um, which means that I can't play any of this stuff, you know? I, I can't go to any of these, hmm. you know, string summit or any of this kind of you know like uh, I can't open for any of these kind of bands like I'm too heavy for the jam scene and then the British press all they or anybody you know any writer that I really give a shit about looks at my bio and goes wrote song for widespread panic Right. I wonder what else is on the desk today. Right. You know? <laughs> Blessing and a curse. <laughs> right. But but you seem to have been able to control your anger because in those times your songs were very angry and now not that your songs are angry but you've been able to the, the, it's less anger in in your well, in your it's writing. More controlled. More. No, that's another way to say. You've definitely yeah. done work on yourself, haven't you? You definitely more controlled, less bridled, more focused with your anger. Would you agree? Um. Do you think yoga helps that? I do a lot of Bikram. Do you? Yeah. Um, You know, by the time I'm 35 years old, my... To me, I was always... I was so violent when I was young that me just being, like, pissed at shit when I was 35, I'd already thought I'd done that work. (laughs) Right? I'm like, I'm just yelling at you, man. You know, I'm not... I'm not hitting you with a baseball bat. So in my mind, I'm like, look at the peaceful me. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, music, you think of, think of, you know, I, I think of who I like, you know, and my musical heroes, you know, that the, there was always, there, there was always a way in there that they were can I guess Ten, one? What? Can I guess one? Sure. Elvis Costello? Absolutely. Yeah, I hear a lot of... John Lennon. Um, Bob Dylan. I mean, my biggest hero is Nick Cave. I, I Bob Mould. Um, Sugar even, was an influence on you. We even should... fucking Bob Marley. You know? Yeah. I mean, you can hear in there, you know, 
they're just figuring out how to take that shit, you know, that they're pissed off about and and make it smart. I never read rock autobiographies, man, but never. But if but I, I read the Elvis Costello one and it's just like, holy shit, man, the guy's you know so brilliant and his his grasp of twentieth century music is like so off the charts, you know. And I kind of think that that's, that's where that's supposed to go in music, right? You don't hit your wife. You don't hit your kids. You, you, know, you, you try to not you know, hit your bass player, and, and you put that in, in music. And, and, it's and the release. All of those emotions, our, our fear and our loneliness and our, and our love and our sexuality and our rage and our, you know, that's why you make fucking art. You know, it's like we were having this huge argument the other day about about um, Casey Affleck and the the charges against him about about um, sexual harassment and stuff. And and young millennial woman that I know is like they should never have given him the Academy Award. And 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 I got in this really awkward position where I'm like, so are we gonna are we gonna not recognize art that was made by people that that were misogynist or, or racist or, or <laughs> there goes everything because, like we're taking <laughs> yeah. Charlie Parker off the table yeah. no more Miles fucking Davis right no more John Lennon no more Picasso you know I mean <laughs> no, no that was actually my first one no, 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 no La Guernica painted over the guy was a fucking dick you know I'm like that's where you want to go right. like with art like yeah. it's a slippery uh, slope you know this guy's a fucking asshole I'm like yeah yeah, he is. Well, some know? of the most and, and there's you know, some of the most creative people are creative because they're troubled. Hey, Rob, or are able to. We got they're they're going to be ready there in a little bit. So let's make sure we can wrap up a little bit here, so we can still have time for. Well, a one music. thing that disappointed me in doing my research is that, uh, and this is the fan side. He's more the industry. Thought I never really killed anybody. <laughs> no, you did. You actually, I could actually tell you. There was one guy. There was one guy. No, but seriously, uh, that's you, in my. You don't body. remember that. Yeah, no, I I, I that's do where Colonel Bruce's man. song "Through the Body of the Lake" came from. He spent to cover that up. So. <laughs> but again, yeah. I'm fan side; he's industry side, and this is one of the frustrations I have with the industry side is that I, I get the sense that you view Stockholm Syndrome as a failure, and I have such such great time seeing that band. I also thought it really, you really brought forth your best material in there, and it was really brought to life well. I thought you and Eric played off each other well. And and that's the bummer being in the industry is that to you do you feel do you view that as a failure, part of your career? Because I certainly don't. Um. I mean, I, the bigger question there is: Do I view myself as a failure? You know, um, I view myself as someone that never realized what they were working for. You know, I, I wanted to be a successful musician. I wanted to be, you know, I never got a record deal. You know, I've, I've never had a check for more than 10,000 bucks. But isn't know? it a compared to what thing? You do what you love for a living and you reach well, people I, I, and you I, move I, people. My, people travel around the globe to see you. My mother always like, you know, Jerry, you know, because every time I'd go into some failure rant, you know, she'd go, you know, you could have been 95, she's got these numbers. 94% of musicians never make a living at it. And, and then... From there, only three percent make a living doing their own music, and then from there, there's only one percent that gets successful at it with their own music. She loves that statistic. She goes, "You're in the top ninety-eight percentile 
of success as a musician. I'm like, yeah, that's great, Mom. I go, but I hang out with the 1%. Everybody else I know owns their fucking home and bought it when they were 30 years old. They go on tour. I've got guys in the other room that never toured without a tour bus. Used to open for me, you know? Like, um, make massive fucking records. So you... So you struggle with that. I have a number of friends like that. I mean, me and Danny Hutchins are always laughing about that. I'm all, every time I see him, I'm like, how's that like great, greatest American undiscovered songwriter thing working out for you? You know, it's like, I think we'd both like to be able to pay our mortgage. I think we'd both like to see some some kind of recognition. But finally, for me, I'm driving down the road the other day, the musician, a friend of mine who had some big success. But in the past, and 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 pulling up to my house, and my kids are coming out, and he looks at me, he goes, he goes, you won. You know, he's like, you're still here. You got your beautiful young babies and your life, and you didn't die. And you know, he's like, you made thirty something records. I've never once walked out on stage and done any kind of a song with a gun to my head. I, I I never had to go to the open mic night. I've never played, you know, I, I'm like, you've continuously, you know, I have $400 in my bank account, but I'm, but I, you know, and no savings, but I, I think that the, you know, it's the other thing that's helped that for me is starting to do this. We're talking about doing this nonprofit and, and, you know, the only problem is the mission statement because I kind of want to go where I want to go. I want to like like to take guitars to they're killing all the junkies in Manila. Um, you know, I'd like to actually go into Syria or Yemen. I, I, I'd like to do some stuff in the Congo and um, the the. So it's hard to do a mission statement that says Jerry Joseph wants to go wherever the fuck he wants to with fucking thirty guitars. Give him a half a million dollars. But but what's helped me with that is it's. Again, I was talking to another musician. I, I, can, I rewrote my own narrative. You know, it used to be I'd do any of these interviews. It'd be like, tell us about songs with widespread panic and kicking heroin. That's it. That's all I ever not did. A, not with WTNS. Right? <laughs> that was all that I did. I could be like, I have 20 records out. Yeah, tell us about climate safety and kicking heroin. Right? And now I'm the guy that goes to, you know, now, now I'm hanging out with my friends. And they're all talking about... Well, you know, our tour, we just sold out, you know, everything from the Sydney Opera House to the to the Man Manchester O2 Arena and the other guys going, and I'm playing with, you know. And they kind of get around now, and it used to be they'd kind of come around and kind of pat me on the head and go, how are you, Jerry, you know. And now I can go, you know, man, I just got back from fucking Afghanistan. And it's given me a lot of self-confidence and mm -hmm. it's that I never had. And it also has changed the narrative for me. Like, I've actually kind of done something. You know, as opposed to, oh, yeah, I played that club for three people. I still play a gazillion clubs for three people. <laughs> but it's it's changed it a little bit. And, and it's, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't think the point of art is to ever really find peace. But but I know it a little bit more now. You you're know, finding uh, you're finding a bigger voice within yourself, though. And that's something that's 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 something that uh, you just, you, you know, it, I never there's no people. there's no roadmap to that. There's no roadmap. You know, but when you find it. It's it is something that that fulfills you and gives you purpose. So and the roadmap is to convince sixteen year old kids like to find it faster. Yeah, well that's that's amazing though. But if you can't do that, you know, it's like trying to convince an alcoholic or someone like you're gonna die. You know, they don't give a fuck. Yeah. 
David okay. needs you. Let's yeah. end with this question. David needs me. Okay. When David Barbie says you come into this room, you go into that room, right? <laughs> yeah. But if Elvis Costello was going to cover one of your songs, which song would it be and why? Cochise. I have, I have uh, four songs in my... In my, I have this imagining, you know, like the naked, you show to school, show up to school naked dream. I've never actually had that. I've gone to that a school naked. Did that even show up to like a show naked? Well, that actually no. did happen. Never in, mind, mind, in mine, I'm sitting there, it's a songwriter in the round. It's like Nick Cave and Bob Dylan and Elvis Costello and Amy Mann, and they're all sitting <laughs> around there, you know, and it's like Nick Cave's turn, you know, and, 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 uh, and it gets to me, what, what would I play? It's a very short list, you know, like three or four songs. I would, I would maybe play Cochise, Wisconsin Death Trip. Um, uh, uh. Is Cochise an ode to a woman who's an old soul? What? A woman who's an old soul? No, Cochise is about getting married. But the woman that you're revering in the song, it, 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 that, that, that's where the Indian reference came into me in my No, Cochise just happened to be my, my musical hero. We recorded that re- here, actually. Um, I just think that as a song, the way the song's written, the king of love, I have a couple of songs that I would go, all right, I'm going to play this one. You know, maybe War at the End of the World. You know, out of a guy that's got an active set list of 300 songs, and to say that I have four. Yeah. Well, listen, Jerry, we're going to, we want to get you back into the studio, so we're not going to say goodbye. We're going to say to be continued, because I definitely feel like there's just so much more we could talk to you about, and we definitely should. So we'd love to have you back on the show and hopefully sometime soon. As long as you don't interview my neighbors in New Zealand. <laughs> like, Shalom, cunt. You start to go, woo, woo, woo. I go, uh-oh. <laughs> okay, we're going to be <laughs> taking the show to New Zealand. <laughs> I like that idea. This is but... Matthew. Apparently you were like in isolation with, you know, locked up with him. and He's got an interesting story. One day, babe, I'll be like Cochise. I'll throw off these shackles I shall be released I know there's a warrior Inside of me And we'll fight Maybe one day I'll be the chief And I'll rescue the princess from the jaws of the beast But when it all hits the fan I'm still calling Cochise And we'll dance and Maybe one day I'll follow my heart Custer conquistadors Tear them apart this is our moment to make a new start so in love and on that day I will jump in the sea and I'll finally be all you want me to be and then down on my knees asking Marry me and we'll fly to the ends of the world. Baby, 
fly to the ends of the world. Well, Rob, I want to thank you. And we're going to close out with a much more thank yous. What do you say? Uh, I thank you, Jerry Joseph and David Barbie, for letting us come into his studio. That seemed like kind of a big deal. Um, you know what I mean? Because they're working. So it takes a certain amount of trust to let us kind of invade their workspace and, you know, have our time with Jerry and then move on. You know, we could have talked to him. I mean, he's obviously a garrulous guy. I, I really enjoy talking to him. Very serious cat. He's doing a tour down through Florida. Um, pretty soon. Um, well, yeah, he's got, he's actually out in the mountain states right now. Do you have the dates in front of you? JerryJoseph.com for tour dates, but he's playing solo acoustic at Sweetwater Music Hall in Mill Valley on April 8th, and then he does a run of shows in Alaska, and um, in this interview, we talked about how he hadn't played Miami before. He had just right, played Miami. Right, the right. Well, now he's back down there, yeah, starting with a free show at the Ringside uh, Cafe in St. Petersburg. And he does a whole bunch of shows at the end of April and beginning of May. Again, jerryjoseph.com to check well, some out. Some of those dates, though, he's got the Tampa, St. Pete. That's, those, that's Danny and Danielle. You know, remember Danny and Danielle, Rob? They're, uh, they're, they're helping him out with that. I think it's the, um, well, he's, he's doing that funky biscuit down in Boca Raton, my Florida friends. Great. Lake Worth uh, doing the uh, propaganda. And then he's, uh, he's got some private. Uh, I may go down to one of those. Stuff. My aunt needs uh, to be helped to um, po- post hurricane damage. She needs some help. So if it times up, I, I might hit one of these. I mean, he's he's all over. Yeah, he's not. He's no Atlanta though. No Atlanta. International Bob Dylan Tribute Festival at the Soil Dove in Denver on May twenty fifth. Check it out, JerryJoseph.com. Um, and Rob, what else do you want to talk? I about I want to here recommend April twenty eighth, two thousand two. I know we didn't talk about Whites for Panic too much. I think he, he's kind of burnt on talking about Whites for Panic. There's a whole lot to Jerry Joseph beyond Whites for Panic. We could have talked another two hours and not even talked about Whites for But if you are, and if you are of that inclination, check out April twenty eighth, two thousand two, second set. Very nice sit in. Sadly, it was the last time I saw Mike Hauser play with Widespread, except for a brood show. But still, a great show. It was in Oak Mountain. And uh, as we said before, they were kind enough to give us this exclusive track with lyrics like the bitch of getting older is as easy to forget. Try to get the image, but you get the silhouette. They're rounding up the cameras, exposing all the roles because the taking of the pictures is the stealing of the soul. Folks, enjoy. Brand new track. Brand new. Arrivederci. Rob Turner. Chicken Street from Jerry Joseph. The bitch getting older is it's easy to forget. Try to get the image, but you get the silhouette. The rounding up the cameras, exposing all the roasters, the taking of the pictures, the stealing of the soul. We're hanging out our taxes, we're squirming in our seats. We need a little bit of shopping down on Chicken Street.
a million dollars They're asking for my head up Lordy, lordy, mama, you're a bundle of supply Hard to get your temperature, your cover in your Everybody's coming along Wisconsin death trip Out of the cold Back on your feet Everybody's singing along A baptismal fire We're all getting old Feeling the heat Could have been a carnival ride Circle of death Passing a cup For all you believe And a little of the child just died A Wisconsin death trip Never give up just up off your knees When the small hand hits fire 
sirens will sound We all clap, we rely As it brings through the town See the light in our eyes As we gather around On a Wisconsin death trip tonight Could have been something you said Sharkland Aquarium A tear and a smirk We all had to laugh And I've been trying to get it out of my head A Wisconsin death trip Shadows alert The block in our path The small hand hits fire Sirens will sound We all clap, we rely As it rings through the town See the light in our eyes As we gather around On a Wisconsin death trip tonight I know. We could have used a little more time. Trees a mystery. All now I'm bored. And out of the dark And everybody's gonna be fine A Wisconsin death trip Thanking the Lord Squeezing out sparks In our hearts we will know but it's never about And our voices will grow From a whisper to shout And our God, He will know That we're working it out On a Wisconsin death trip When the small hand hits five Sirens will sound we all clap, we rely As it rings through the town See the light in our eyes As we gather around On a Wisconsin death trip tonight We're working it out Wisconsin death trip tonight. I know, you know, oh, we're working it out on a Wisconsin death trip tonight. And everybody's gonna be fine.